right. So yeah, hey, welcome back. It's uh what is it? It's May now, 2022. And I am, you know, happy to, to see James back. My first guest is now also my first repeat guest. Woohoo! I did yeah. it. Yeah, just a year and oh, almost a year and a half after I first started this whole thing. Yeah. So, how have things been over at Dimension Door Podcast? Uh, I know you got. I'm only about two episodes back, but things seem to be going smooth. Yeah, they're going. They're going pretty smooth. Um, we're entering. So you're two episodes back. Uh, we're we're getting into some really good stuff. We're getting into some really good sections. Obviously, we've been journeying for the better part of uh i think the past year has been this journey to uh the major city we're doing the reign of winter adventure path and we're going over to the the major town city capital of white throne and that has been quite a journey so i think i'm feeling a little bit of relief finally getting to the city because there's this all this built-up anticipation and peril that the party's been experiencing but also it's like the first time that they've experienced a large city um and i always find that players that there's a certain energy about it uh when you have your players enter their first big city for the first time um because it like from a gm perspective i think it becomes very sandboxy very quickly um i grew up in a small town personally and there wasn't much to do and when i got to the big city oh man there was so much to do and i wanted to do it and i find that like for players it's the same thing uh they want to go out they want to explore they want to go to like different fancy restaurants uh and and go to all these different kinds of shops and for the most part um the the resources that paizo puts out offer a a wonderful array of uh pre-written content for you to utilize in those situations which is great i i think it's wonderful i think it's a very exciting time to be a game master and be a player yeah and i personally i find the biggest thing they're looking forward to especially at the position you're in where they've been wandering through wilderness for so long is they're like okay now we can buy and sell gear yes yeah, yeah, the 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 whole, yeah, the the economy circuit really comes into play once you hit a big city, especially after traveling for so long. You're like, hey, I found all these magic items that are kind of useless, and I kind of know what I want to get for my character. It really does become like, hey, this is this is the time where you, you, the money's burning a hole in your pocket. Yeah, and you know, it's it's almost like leveling up at a certain point because you you can get all these magic items with all these cool new abilities and things yep. like that, and you're just like, yeah. sweet. Yeah, it, it starts to level out the CR encounters uh, at that point because you do you really start to be able to optimize your character with items. Uh, you know, get weapons that kind of match up a bit better. Get those magic bonuses going, those enhancement bonuses. Um, and so, yeah, it, re it really is a big kind of... It's a boost. It's a huge boost uh, to any party once you're finally able to um, participate in commerce. Yeah, and uh, I know you guys just went through... Hey, spoiler alert for all the listeners. <laughs> Alright, that's a good pause there. Uh, good, good, good. You just went through Valdeen replacing his gun, and now he'll yeah. be able to have access to getting the materials he needs to not just have like well this will work for now but like an actual mm -hmm. gun yeah yeah something that he will be good at using um gunslingers for those of you who don't know are very 
it's a very overpowered class in that uh, touch AC is very easy to hit for a gunslinger, and that's what they go against. Um, and I think Paizo's done an interesting job about balancing it, because the gunslinger class itself is a money pit. Um, you have to spend a lot of money to craft all of your bullets and ammunition, um, but it's also a feat tax-heavy class. So for every specific gunslinger feat you get, typically you have to specify with which exact firearm it is for. So this entire time, Valdin switched over from a pepperbox pistol to a regular flintlock pistol. He's down like three or four feet for his class mm. uh, that he just he just can't use those with a simpler weapon than what he was using. Yeah, ranged combat already has that where it's like if you don't have point blank and precise shot yeah you know what yeah yeah it's, and it's... for all my listeners <laughs> we there's one guy um in our serpent skull you know he's a ranged character and he doesn't have precise shot and we razz him about it incessantly oh man i bet oh geez yeah no i mean he's the guy who's like well no i well i i have this teamwork feat that you know gets rid of those negatives i'm like no you know, it gives you other bonuses, but that negative four is always going to be there. But at yeah. this point, for him, he's just never going to take it because it's like, you know, the middle finger to the rest of us. Yeah, it, it's part of who he is now, which yeah. is uh, it, uh, there's something to be said about the uh, intentional. Um, I don't want to say mismanagement because it is intentional, uh, but the the. Un unoptimized character. There's something near and dear to my heart about having something intentionally not work as well as it could when there is a very simple solution. It feels very real world to me. It, it feels very relatable um, that there's a simple solution that you just have to invest a little bit in and you're like, no, nah, I'm not going to do that. Life's yeah. fine the way it is. It's good enough. I don't need to fix that. Yeah. I, I don't I don't need to do 10 push tips every day. I'm fine. Yeah. And in this case, it's like, well, I could do that, or I could take this shiny feet over here. Yeah, it's, yeah, exactly. Um, it gives you some variety, you know, in your games. So, uh, I know I usually send an outline for these uh, these conversations. Uh, mm -hmm. This time I didn't, because I wanted it to be a little more spontaneous and off the cuff here. I figured today we would just talk uh, a little more casually about favorite stories from our tables. Now, oh, one of the things I want to try to avoid is is that one where everybody's just like, and then he rolled, because yeah. those are really only funny for the people who were there at the yeah. table, you know. I, oh, I, gosh. Now, I, I will tell a story first, so you have time yeah. to think about this. Okay, good, um, good, good. I'm going to go with one of my old characters. Um, his name was Wrath, and he was an elven barbarian. I loved Wrath, and this is a bit of a longer story, so, because he had uh, just this string of things that happened to him that one thing led to another and wrath has two volumes loud and louder and near and dear to my heart i get that he is he you know simple sentence structure was a bit of a struggle for him unless he was speaking in elven in which case you know he sounded very posh and proper <laughs> he got into town rolled into town and was just immediately like i'm hungry so he goes to this bakery and they offer him a brownie a special brownie which he eats no problem and they're just like oh man do you want like the whole pan and he goes yes so he eats the entire pan good good no offense 
And they're just like, okay, do you want this? And so he ends up paying for the entire pan of brownies and a block, a one-pound block of grass. And he's like, well, I don't eat grass, but I'll just put it in my bag, right? (laughs) So then later, we go off and we're hunting down a necromancer out in the woods. And we come across this cave. It's a shallow cave. It's got an altar in it. It's covered in blood. There's a cauldron with a dead body in it. An abandoned campfire, it's cold, and a horse. And so Wrath, being, you know, uh, an equal opportunity individual, he goes up to the horse and asks, like, are you the necromancer? And the horse, of course, says nothing. So he pulls out this, he gets this brilliant idea. Horses eat grass. I will offer this horse the grass as a bribe. The horse eats the entire one-pound block of weed um, and then spends... When Wrath then asks, are you the necromancer? The horse just nods its head. And thus was born the story of Nick the necromancer, the the horse, uh, who followed Wrath around from then on. Uh, And they found a a book. And it was a a bone golem manual, right? Okay. But none of us could pass the checks, and we just see this book of diagrams and arcane signatures and dead bodies. So Wrath is now assuming that this is his spell book. So every morning he sits there for an hour in front of the horse holding the book open for the horse to read his spell book. (laughs) Wrath Wrath is uh, quite a deadly combatant, uh, but Nick the Necromancer, uh, the horse... Has a good half dozen kills under his belt as well. That's uh, amazing. That's yeah. very. That's the highest kill count I've heard for a a, uh, a horse. That's yeah, just phenomenal. a standard everyday horse. That horse once saved uh, Rat's life because we we eventually ended up tr- following the trail of this necromancer who we found out later is a you know a golem maker mm-hmm. to a bandit cave. Now this was described to us. This cave is at the bottom of a about a forty foot ravine, right? It's about 30 feet wide. It is... This got a few shrub plants, but for the most part is completely open. And the cave is down at the bottom here. Uh, and we stumble across it at the top of the ravine and are, like, watching it through the brush. And there's just these two guards just standing there. Now, I want you to imagine this. Your job is... One of these bandits is to watch this ravine. It's hot. There's no shade. And you are just standing there staring at rock walls and rock floors for like eight hours. And then all of a sudden, you just hear this yell of, Let Wrath tell you something! And a gout of flame as the person standing next to you disappears in a blur of motion and fire as Wrath jumped off the edge of the ravine holding an alchemist fire in each hand and smashed him into this dude. Oh, that's beautiful. And we all went tumbling into the brush as the rest of my party went like, did he really just fucking do that? <laughs> uh, which I survived and I stabilized at negative hit points as the, my party came rushing down the incline, firing oh. crossbows, trying to get to me before I bled to death. Uh, oh. And they managed to kill this other bandit, get me on the horse as they could hear the horde of bandits come getting ready to pour out of the cave. Luckily, Nick was there to carry my overly large body to safety and serve and save me. And that good old Nick, good old yeah. Nick the Necromancer. Yes. Uh, oh, so good. Near the end of that camp, that little campaign, um, we ended up finding special horseshoes of awakening. 
And so Nick <laughs> became awakened and literally became a necromancer. And it that's, became that's great. That's yeah. the story that I needed. That's yeah. the God. That's a, so good. He is that's a monkey so familiar. Uh, I gave it to him special so as he can have with opposable thumbs to uh, yeah. hand him spell components and things that's like that. Smart. Oh, that's yep. good. That's really good. And, and, and is Nick still alive today? Yes, because we good. have not gone back to that. <laughs> oh, good. He lives on. Uh-huh. That's the most important part. God, that's He's great. always there in my heart, no matter what. Oh, yeah. That's that's one of those characters you're just never going to forget about. Okay. Oh, uh, I got I got a couple. I got a couple. Um, my I only have, like, one or two, I think, good stories about characters I've actually played. I haven't played nearly as much as I've run games. Um... But I, I have a very distinct memory of a character I played in uh, the first modules that Pathfinder and Paizo ever put out, uh, Crypt of the Everflame. Okay. And this entire time I'm playing this guy, human fighter, because that's what I love. And I'm very basic like that. Um, but he worshipped, oh, geez, Abadar. There we go. Right. Okay. The God of commerce and, and the scales and balance and everything. And I'm like, OK, cool. I can play that. But that is Abadar, right? I'm not. Yes. Okay, good. I'm not getting it confused. Um, I mean, you only have to choose between Abadar, Asmodeus, Eridan, and like three other. Three other know, A names. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a dice goblin. So, of course, anytime I have a new character, I have to get a new set of dice. And that is the, the only dice I am allowed to use for that character. So I go out and I'm looking and I find this pair of dice and I really like it. So I buy it. It's like gray gold lettering on it. It's oh, wonderful. And I start playing the character. And something very apparent starts happening. It is more likely that I will roll a 1 or a 20 than any other number. Mm. Consistently. Consistently will only roll 1s and 20s very rarely gives me something else and so it was strangely perfect for a character that's all about the scales of balance which is what i really started to play into it um and he had a pretty good run he had a pretty successful run and lasted a lot longer than i thought he would (laughs) based on the luck of his die and we're we're getting through the adventure we played through all three sections of it all three uh little indie modules of it and we get to this last like big city we're fighting this golem and he's up there tanking it and we went into combat and he was down like three hit points and you're not going to waste a heal when you're in a big dungeon crawl on three hit points yeah i mean you should if you can afford it we didn't because i didn't speak up and we're in this battle with this golem and I'm down pretty good significant chunk of points. I'm standing there. I'm like, this is it. This is my last stand. I'm just going to kill this thing and we're going to save everyone and it's going to be great. And I do that. And then it explodes. Oof. Oof. My character gets covered in molten gold and goes conscious. Oh, oh, I know with Abadar. Are you yeah. kidding me? It's wonderful. Like this was this has been my favorite death, and it is a death because he gets covered in the molten gold. He goes 
from, I think, like, three hit points to permadead by three hit points. Oof. Those three hit points that I didn't heal before the combat, and it was so perfect, and everyone was in stunned silence, and I'm just sitting there beaming, because that's beautiful. Yeah. That is some beautiful irony. Ah, Poetic, I would say. It is! It's very poetic. It was, it was just wonderful. That is, that's my favorite death I've ever experienced. That was just such a good way to go, and I've banned that die from, from my set. (laughs) I, I have it locked away with my mini, I will never touch it. Sometimes I'm like, it wasn't as bad as I remember, right? And I'll go and I'll roll it like five times. And four out of those five times, it'll be a one or a 20. And I'm like, oh, no, it was it was bad. It was really bad. So that, that was... That makes a good GM die. It does make a good GM die. Um, I, I change it up, though, for my GMing. I don't use dice that I have dedicated to characters when I GM. Because yeah. I have so many other dice that I can use. And I just sit there with, like, uh, I have one of those nice little sorting boxes. And everything is sorted by the number of sides on it. So I'll cycle through, like, different D20s based on how I'm feeling that day. Which is really fun. That's that's not a story. No. The next so, story, uh, please go for it if you have one. Uh, I have another one about my probably favorite instance, uh, like line of um, events that led to one of my favorite moments in a game I ran. I, I just got a short one that was uh, the first character death I ever had at a convention. There used to be this uh, series of scenarios called First Steps. First Steps mm-hmm. 1, 2, and 3, right? They've since retired them. They're designed to be played by level one characters just getting into society because it introduces you to Galarian more than the mechanics, right? Yeah. And I get surprised attacked at level one, playing a rogue by a barbarian who crits me and does like 36 damage. And the GM has the gall to look at me and go, are you still alive? I'm like, motherfucker, I am level one. (laughs) You did 36 damage. No, I'm not still fucking alive. What the hell kind of question? I'm not a barbarian with toughness and a 20 constitution. So, no, I am dead. That, yeah, that's... like I, I mean, don't it, know of any level one build that could survive that. A barbarian with 20 con and toughness. You would be unconscious, but alive. Oh, gosh, that's... Because you would... Because here's the deal. If you had barbarian full hit die at level one, it's 12... Yeah. 20 right. con is plus 5, toughness is another 3, that's 20 hit points. You need 40 hit points to die. So, Yeah, good luck getting to, to 20 con, but yeah, that would do it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you're basically just sinking everything you have everything into, else. into constitution. Yeah. So. <laughs> My barbarian is designed to not die at level 1 in one hit. Yeah. Oh, what else do they do? No, no, you don't understand. <laughs> That's yes. it. Some people think... You know, oh, I'll use a lot of armor to protect myself. I decided to go with a lot of hit points. Hit points <laughs> is good. Hit yes. points is arguably better than armor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, an infinite number of any of them, I'd stick with hit points because you can always crit armor. Yeah. Yes, that is very true. Very, very true. Oh, man. Yeah. So I've I've run Rise of the Rune Lords uh, a couple times. That was the first game I run. I ran, um, and then I started running it for another group of people because it was already prepped. Yeah, and I knew a lot of people that wanted to play, and so it was. I, I have like no prep time. I can just run this second game and have a lot of fun, and I can do it better than I did the first time 
because I did it before and experience and all that good stuff. And it worked really, really well. Yeah. Um, and I would have players drop in and drop out, you know, throughout the years. And I had a friend who was visiting from Cambodia for a while. And so we introduced his character and he is uh, like a, an avatar for Rasma and goes around and helps souls pass on and all that good stuff, which is great. Uh, and we get to the point in the story where the party was supposed to save someone and that someone died and they weren't able to muster up the, the resources to speak with dead or talk to them. And so this, this avatar for Asma is like, well, we can't afford resurrection. Well, not resurrection. What was it? It was um, reincarnation. We had a druid. The druid's okay. like, oh, well, this Phrasma guy was like, well, if I, I can go and I'll try and find this guy in the boneyard before he talks to my boss and passes on. So, like, I'm just going to kill myself. And then... Hmm you bring me back in like a couple hours and everyone was down for it and i'm sitting there in the hot seat like this is too good of an idea to not entertain let's see how it plays out yeah. it's like do i want to just step in and say um it doesn't work that way, or do I just want to let them kill themselves? I want to just let it ride. Everyone's having a great time. I think it makes sense. This guy has an established history of, like, speaking with Phrasma, and they're on good terms and stuff. Like, yeah, of course. Sure, why not? Let's see what happens. But you look at everybody That's... else and, like, but for the rest of you, this will not work. Exactly. I'm like, I will let you do this, and I will let you do this one time. This is the only time that I will let any of this go any of this fly it's gonna happen one time it's a great idea i want to reward you for that by letting it work it will not work again do not exploit this best decision i ever made so he offs himself he goes to the boneyard he talks to this guy and then on his way back phrasma like scolds him super super hard like don't you dare ever do this again i'm fucking done with you how dare you take advantage of our agreement blah 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 they're sitting in this study with this dead body, and the druid casts reincarnation. Now, I am not a boring person, so of course we used the expanded reincarnation yes. table. Very nice. Um, thank you. And I also let them, you know, spend any hero points that they have, roll as many times as you want, pick from the list, and I think two out of the three choices all landed on the same thing. Mm. And it was construct. A small <laughs> construct. And so he comes back as this small construct made out of desks and pages <laughs> of books. And it's horrible. Because he is technically... An object now. <laughs> he is not a physical human. He is a soul inhabiting this weird amalgamation of office supplies. And so 
we we have to now uh, come to terms with the situation I have let them create. Um, and he cannot heal himself by regular means. Uh, he has to have, like, make whole and all of these, like, repair item potions and wands and stuff that he carries around with. And I think we have it figured out and this will be the craziest it ever gets. And, of course, I'm wrong. Because later on, we're going... And we have to, uh, they, they teleport to a place, they have to, like, raid a floating barge. And they're talking about ways to do it. And we're, once again, looking over, like, the rules, and they're planning it out. And my paladin goes, I have this one spell called Launch Object. <laughs> what if, because this guy's an object now, what if I launch him like a catapult... To the barge. Everyone's like, yes, this is a great idea. I'm like, yep, I will let this happen. This is this is my own fault. Please show me this. Paint me this picture. So they launch him. He is light enough. We checked the weight. We, we played through it mechanically. She misses her to hit with the launch object. So he ends up slamming into the side of the barge. And I'm like, okay, object versus object damage, let's go. He was stronger than the wall, so he blasts <laughs> through it like the fucking Kool-Aid man. <laughs> and now they're, they're raiding this barge by throwing a player through the wall. And it's one of those moments where my actions had consequences that I had no idea would happen. And it was wonderful. Yeah. It was absolutely wonderful. Um, uh, it was just so good. Uh, it, he was a temporary player, so this is how, how his whole story ends. Later on, um, he is now this awakened construct, right? He is a construct, but he also has a soul, and he has all of this like personal feeling and motivation and desires. Uh, he's autonomous. He he cannot be commanded, but he is still this construct. And I was trying to find good ways for him to be um, phased out because he had to go back overseas. And so they ended up in this workshop. And... Uh, Mr. Wooden Desk and Bookman got infected by termites. Oof. And I felt, I felt very cheeky and very smart because it was in the middle of like the storm and they're in this workshop and he sees these termites like eating through him. And suddenly he starts to hear a voice. What I ended up doing is I ended up taking him out of time and having him communicate with Bri, who is the goddess of kind of time and constructs. And I kind of said, hey, she, she said, hey, uh, this is the first time this has happened. And this is something that is now going to fall under my domain. You do not have a bot-taking construct. And I want you to come and be my herald and help free, like, other constructs and bring consciousness to them. And so that's how I had him at exit, which was, I think, very fitting and very cool. Um, 
I well, yeah, I mean, getting to be the herald yeah. of God, that's cool. Yeah, it's dope. It's really dope. Which is, I, I still don't know how I feel about my overall. Uh, like it was very cool, but I find that in my games, the more I have the gods play a hands-on approach, the less interesting it gets. Because I start to feel like everything can kind of just be explained away uh, by by saying, oh, it's the gods' will, um, and making these scenarios. But then it also starts to become a little bit heavy-handed with different players. Like, oh, what do you, well, what's your character? Oh, I'm, a, I'm an old retired uh, mercenary. What's your character? Oh, I get missions directly from a god. And so you start to have this bad sort of power shift and importance shift in your characters of your players. And I, I'm of the opinion that one player and one character should not be more important than another. Yeah. And so it becomes very hard when you have kind of that direct divine intervention happening because it also takes away a lot of player agency. Because if you are a devout follower of your god, you will do whatever your god says. And then it's like you're telling the players exactly what to do, and now you have that one player that will do nothing else except for what you said to do. And that doesn't feel as exciting for me, right? That That doesn't seem like a good way to have camaraderie and to really start to push interpersonal relationships between players if that, that's the one thing that you're going to just give them all the time. And, I mean, the other side of that is, oh, well, now everyone is a herald for their god. And then it becomes a little bit more complicated. <laughs> but it, 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 I've found that it tends to break up parties rather than draw them closer together. As fun as it may be, uh, that, that's kind of been where I've, I've landed on uh, divine intervention over the years. Yeah, I've used it like you described, where, uh, you know, it's... Like, last time I think I can remember using it was a character died, and, you know, I was describing the funeral, and everybody was there, and then, like, I Mm -hmm. described that, actually, that character standing in the back of the crowd talking to, like, you know, the old huntsman with the stag's head, Mm -hmm. uh, and they, you know, went off together, that sort of thing, where it's just like, yeah, they're there, they're participating in things, but, you know, you gotta, you gotta make your own choices. Yeah. I got two shorter stories. Um, Hit me. Let's yeah. hear them. Your first one and your second one. I just, I love this. I love swapping stories. Uh, this is great. Uh, this one is, is probably the most recent one. Um, so I'm running Kingmaker, right? And bless your soul. Well, I, I, I like it a lot, but I, I so we're still using experience based, uh, experience based leveling in that particular okay. campaign. So I'm rolling for some random encounters and I look at the table and, and I got to look at this thing twice. I'm like, what the fuck? 1D4? They're level 11. Because it says Dracolisk, which I read is Dracolich. Oh. <laughs> and I was like, what the fuck? And I'm like, okay, there's got to be an explanation. So it's like, it gives me the page in the bestiary and I open it up and it's the, in the bestiary one, the half dragon template on a basilisk. Yeah. So Dracolisk. I was like, Okay, that makes a lot more sense. So I, I designed a little encounter around this and, you know, some storytelling and chance for them mm-hmm. to get some background info and things like that and see some of what's happening in the world. 
one of them got baleful. One of the Dracolisks got baleful polymorphed into a sloth, <laughs> uh, and failed also its mental check, so it doesn't remember that it's a Dracolisk. So the party now has Billy the sloth, the Dracolisk, um, and it you know it's fucking King Sloth. This thing has more hit points than the Slayer, uh, and is just a murder machine for a sloth. And then it's like I'm doing all the stat changes too to like because of the size changes from yeah. lar- like large down to tiny. Yeah. And it's just like its armor class is through the fucking roof, and it is so dangerous. And they're you, just like you—you you created a god. Yeah, they're like we're taking this on adventures, and now they're talking about awakening the sloth. Oh, which will still have no idea that it's a Dracolisk, right? Yeah, and it's just like this thing would just be fucking unstoppable. Yeah, wow, that's a that's a nightmare creature. Yeah. Although I I I, I do want to now design a Dracolich. I'm pretty I, sure I, there's one in one of the Beast series. Really? Yeah, or it's some oh. sort of undead revenant dragon or something. But anyway, okay. so like. They're, they're talking about this thing, and I, I told him, I was like, if you awaken it, there's one rule. You have to take it with you. The one who adopted it, she's taking it home to her little guild of pickpockets and everything, and she's like, hey, you're in charge of this now. Um, don't make it angry. Just just don't. It will kill you. That's amazing. Uh, I did, I looked it up. Uh, a lich dragon is a unique undead from Bestiary 1. Uh, unique uh in the unique monster section it's only a cr7 so use that in your next campaign folks Ooh, cr7 undead yeah. dragon yeah i don't know i would make it way harder um right yeah the other one i have is um is mostly just the the theme of it it makes me giggle when i think about it uh one of the games i'm playing is jade regent right uh, and you go up through the land of the Lindorm Kings, which is very Viking, right? Traditional, yeah, yeah, yeah. stereotypical Viking stuff. And my guy uh, is, he's a sorcerer, but he's convinced he's a wizard because he's not very intelligent. And he, you know, his he's got the red robes with the big blue pointy hat and everything's mm-hmm. covered in silver stars and everything. And he is wizard, right? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Small spoiler alert. At one point, you are trying to find something on a um a viking funeral boat like a big one right yeah and you're being chased and ambushed by ninjas so i have this fantasia wizard fighting ninjas on a viking funeral boat (laughs) and i'm using my ring of the ram and just punching these things into the ocean oh that's beautiful it was amazing, like just to stop and giggle at this thought of my, you know, of of all of these genres crossing over, and I'm yeah, just, and my wizard is punching ninjas into the ocean. That's beautiful. Gosh, that's so beautiful. Yeah. <sighs> Everybody else is like, oh yeah, no, like I'm originally from Minkai, and I'm just going home, and like they're all like in the setting, and I'm just like, wizard. I yes, I have. I had a similar character. Uh, that I did for a uh, D&D one-shot for a stream. I played a little goblin, um, and he was a sorcerer with a green draconic, there we go, bloodline, um, and uh, he also thought he was a wizard. He grew up in a trash can, um, and one day he found 
his wizard book wink wink uh it was a a children's book uh called the abcs of magic and mm. so it's just this children's picture book with like a bunch of different spells like like a is for a blade of barrier and 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 c is for charm and just a bunch of that with like all these illustrations and so he thinks that this is his wizard book and he can read it and learn all these spells and so that's what he does he becomes uh he becomes squelch the the grand wizard um and he just is totally a sorcerer love it uh tells everyone he's a wizard he can't read so he doesn't know the difference yep I was Go like, ahead. if he's like mine, then it's like, oh, you didn't study your spell book, but you still have spells? Well, that just means you're a better wizard than those yeah. other losers. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so he's in this this party, and or we're going along and everything. We're going through, like, this dead forest, and our uh, our game master is like, okay, you, you hear all these things around you, and... Uh, they pop up and there are all of these young green dragons and they look really, really hungry at you. And this was beautiful because this was like, hey, we're going to play this one shot starting tomorrow for the next three weeks. Just bring a character and we'll figure it out. So we all trust each other, right? There was no checking of character sheets or anything like that. And so me, green draconic bloodline little goblin who thinks he's very smart, um, but is not. He is not smart. He is not wise. But he is adorable. And so he goes into the middle of this field with all of these hungry-looking little dragons around him, and he takes off his shirt, and he puffs up his chest real big, and he he points at his stomach, which has all of these little tiny green dragon scales on it, because that's his bloodline. And he diplomatizes all of the dragons that oh, he's friendly i guess i mean the dragons are definitely smarter but it it worked out he convinced them not to eat them and he thinks it's because he's just a baby version of them and he's gonna grow up to be one of them someday and uh i mean with the right spells maybe maybe yeah sweet 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 dumb baby boy but oh what a great guy (laughs) there's something there's something to be said for I, I feel that there's definitely a, a soft spot in my heart for sorcerers that are so dumb they think they're wizards. <laughs> we had uh, we had one campaign one time. This guy uh, decided to run. He'd never run anything before. I, I think he had this feeling of like, I want to tell the story, you know, and show like, oh, this is the way that I kind of like to play, and so like mm-hmm. I want to show them by running it the way I would like to be able to, you know, have games run for me as a player, which, you know, is very mature and everything. But um, beyond the the game we had where every time he would say, basically, we would drink and we'd all go up, drink and not. We had we never told him what we were doing and he never figured out. Oh, geez. What was going on? It was just every other sentence out of his mouth. We went up, drink, Uh, drove him nuts. He put us on a slave ship, right? And I think we were supposed to break loose, whatever, which we did. Freed all the other slaves, got rid of the slavers, but we couldn't steer the ship. Like, the wheel did nothing. Uh, taking down the um, the sails, it moved at the same speed, never turning. We even, we had a warforge, so we lowered him off the back of the ship. He mm-hmm. used his knife to slowly drill a hole in the rudder, which we ran the rope through. We all got back up. 
and just started pulling on the rudder so much it eventually snapped off. Okay. So we have done literally everything to move this ship off course. And then I look at him and I go, how far offshore are we again? He's like, uh, about 500 yards. Shit. I can swim that. He's like, are, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah. And I hold up the rudder. I got a raft. There you go. So we all just abandoned ship, uh, which he then had to spend the next like four sessions trying to figure out how to get us back to the campaign because we had no idea that that's specifically what we were supposed to do um, to the point where he actually sent a drow wizard on a black dragon to try and wrangle us forward and he had started us at a high enough level that we had lots of gear and one of our guys opens up his portable hole and starts handing us pieces he's like base base cross arm string arm basket i'm like is this is this a catapult do you have a fucking siege engine in here and he looks at me and goes i got two hey <laughs> oh that's so good <laughs> That was a fun... He never DM'd for us again. <laughs> That's... I understand. Yeah. I get that. Uh, Siege engines are one of those things that are completely underutilized. And there's very specific... Like, in Pathfinder, I know there's spells to just quickly assemble a siege engine. Yeah. There's a whole wizard archetype. Um, one of the Swiss Army Scorpion podcast. Mm-hmm. they started with um, uh, Skull and Shackles. And their yeah. wizard has the siege engineer archetype you know where you can use spells through a siege engine yeah uh they they changed their name um aren't they hideous laughter now uh no i think you're right that they changed their name but they're not they, they changed it that to... one i'm uh, sorry this is i just want to make sure we call them out properly uh inspired incompetence there it is inspired incompetence yes, yes. i haven't reached that point i'm still because they're the you're, one you're that i'm listening the to skulls and shackles yeah. yeah they're the ones i'm listening to when like i'm caught up to all my other podcasts i'll go through and yeah listen to, like, you're starting to go through the backlog yeah i get yeah. you i get so, you. but yeah it's uh i i guessed it on on their show Cool. There's an episode of me, yeah. There's an episode of me. I, I play part of a raiding party. It, it's fun. I'm a I'm a half work janitor. So you have that <laughs> to look forward to later. I'll forget this by the time I get to it. I'm sure, and then it'll be like, oh, it's James. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, it'll be good. Yeah. So, what's your next story? Oh man, um, I am apparently a very good planning player. Uh, there's a, an Iron Gods game I'm part of. Um, and uh, there's a couple things in this Iron Gods game that I really enjoy. Uh, the first of them is that I have... We, we have a, a barbarian in our party who has an addictive personality and who likes to gamble. And there is a mysterious liquid in Iron Gods. And it can do anything from level you up three times to melt the flesh off of your bones. And it's different every single time you have it. And the barbarian found a pool of this and didn't know what it was and took a drink of it just to see. And uh, his role was you are extremely addicted to this now. And he's not smart. So 
his barbarian brain goes, ah, yes, liquid good, as much liquid as possible, please. And he jumps in and just starts drinking and drowning in this liquid. And I'm really impressed he didn't die. Yeah. Um, and that's the big thing I took away from that was, wow, you're you're very lucky. You're very lucky to not have died. I, I don't think there's anything really bad that happened to him, which I was really surprised about. Uh, but later later on in the game, um, we are traveling once again. Uh, love a good travel scenario in Pathfinder. Um, I'm playing a shaman. And I prep my daily travel stuff, which is like, hey, I'm going to take, you know, the the bird's eye view spell so I can look at the surrounding terrain from 500 feet in the air. I'm going to take like my augury and all this stuff. And with my regular everyday spells, I completely negated every single thing for two days worth of journeying, uh, including acid rain, including uh, getting raided by bandits and... It was just, I felt so bad because that was like a week's worth of planning that the DM just had to throw out the window. And they're like, why would you do this? And I'm like, this is just how I would travel. Yeah. So that was, that was a lot of fun. That, that's It's always interesting having those classes because you have to prepare your spells at the beginning of the day. And it's always really nice when it lines up like that. I felt very smart and very good about myself. Um, and also very sorry that I ruined all their plans. Yeah, but you, you do it anyway because it just this is one of those instances where saying it's what my character would do. Yeah, makes total sense and doesn't make you seem like an asshole. Yeah, yep. So that was fun. We was really we fun. had um a, we did a PFS scenario one time where the character that one of the guys was playing was a real heavy diplomacy build to begin with, right? Feats, mm-hmm. magic items, max ranks, yeah. all of it. Throughout the scenario, depending on what we did, you could gain all these conditional bonuses and penalties. And then at the end, it's... I don't know how much you play PFS, but... None. So, the way they do, like, rituals in Pathfinder mm-hmm. Society is, like, they're like, okay, so we need to do these things and it'll involve these skill checks. And it's, you know, like, okay, even if you have just the fighter, they still potentially have something to do where it's, like, uh, you know, uh, an athletics... Che- or, not athletic acrobatics check to help you know get people positioned properly or something okay and one of them uh it came down to like there were like four or five diplomacy checks you could make and they're like well i have a with all these bonuses and my standard stats and everything and you know we're 10th level at this point he's like i have a plus 74 uh and that's that's without rolling that's just the plus 74 and it was like well holy shit my god holy shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> that, at that point you're just like hey you want to give up this life of crime there asmodeus let me roll for that basically yeah <laughs> holy cow yeah it was one of those things that the dm was just like you know don't even don't even bother it was like no no i'm gonna roll i want to see if i can get 90 <laughs> jeez that's that's distressing. Yeah. That's very distressing to me. I know, but like half of that was from conditional modifiers and everything, but still, right? Like that's, that's still that's the highest bonus I've ever heard of. Me, yeah, me too, by that's, far, in a way. Yeah. Like I was yes. sitting happy. I was at like a plus forty six bluff because I yeah. had a similar character for bluff, right? But mm-hmm. you know, 
he's just like, yeah, blow that out of the water. And I'm like, mm. oh, hey, good bully for us. Yeah, seriously. <sighs> I, I have a, a character that I got abandoned, basically. Um, it was in a uh, Curse of the Crimson Throne game. First time I ever got to play, well, I guess second time, uh, a character I made, a, a gnome magus. Uh, he was a little researcher guy, um, and uh, he had an adopted daughter. And I only got to play, I think, six sessions with him, but I loved this guy. His name was Gulp. He was a black blade magus. Um, okay. And I was overly ambitious one time. Yeah, so I, I wanted to play a game with all of the people that I was running games for basically um and so it was a 12 person holiday one shot and because i wanted everybody to have fun i said hey go ahead and make yourself some gestalt level 20 characters so Ooh. everyone had two classes Ooh. at the same time oh yeah no it was i bit off a lot more than i could chew um, I said, hey, everyone come prepared to play for 12 hours. Um, I, I People showed up not ready to play for longer than five hours, which kind of sucked. It, there was a whole lot of bad things that are about that game um, that didn't work out, but a lot of things that went really well. Uh, it was my first time designing a bunch of homebrew content, and it was wonderful. Um, but I brought in my gnome. Because I needed to have a character to play too, so I could also have fun. And so I started thinking about uh, Gulp the Gnome that I had not played for a year or two uh, back in this Curse of the Crimson Throne game. And I said, okay, so I, I have this, this Magus Gnome adopted daughter, and I love myself some tragedy. So what I did is I had him go through the bleaching um because at a certain point uh when he was like fighting to protect his daughter um he failed and what ended up happening is his black blade shattered um Ooh, all yeah bad. yeah uh so that shattered and the strapnel ended up killing his daughter oh which drove him insane yeah and so i changed his weapon i forget what it's called but it's it's a hard wooden stick with uh basically like yeah well yeah i got that much uh but it, it yes a hard wooden stick but it has like shrapnel pieces in it like glass and stone and everything oh you mean like the uh pacific islander thing where they use yes. like teeth and like or shards of obsidian Yes, yes, there, there's an actual uh, weapon for that listed in Pathfinder. I'm like, oh, yeah. well, this is going to be horrific. So he wields one of those now, made with the bone and uh, metal shards from his own daughter and his deceased black blade. And that... You that... know, I said favorite stories, not funny stories. Uh, the rest <laughs> have just been funny, but this, that is intense. It is, and it's one of those instances where I just let my mind... I, I like tragedy. I think tragedy is a very powerful thing um, within stories and media, and especially in role-playing, and I think a lot of times we don't allow that to happen at our table too much because we're all there to have a good time, and it tends to uh, veer more towards you know goofy and funny and high energy. Um, but the the sad moments, the the dramatic tension moments that's why i like to play games 
um, because I think that that better reflects life. And I think that using that as a tool to help process through um, having a safe space, right, to experience uh, grief and strife and tragedy uh, is a very powerful tool. And so that's that's what I did. I didn't give him a big happy ending. I gave him a really tragic one. Yeah. And in my head, I still think about like, okay, because I stopped playing him at like level five. So I start thinking about the other 15 levels that he had to go through um, to get to that point. And that that's uh, that's a good story for yeah. me. Because that's 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 one of those stories that is right. It's like it's like the uh, the gap in uh, the Galarian history in Starfinder. Just that time that doesn't exist, and no one can really account for it in the history books. Um, having that be part of his story really lets me play it out in my own head in different ways. Uh, uh, throughout what I thought was going to happen and what I chose to happen towards the end. Yeah, that was that was something I, I did for myself. And I really liked the way it played because he, he has all this separation anxiety now and he's able to mask his bleaching uh, whenever he has his weapon with him because it's the, the two most important things that he ever lost. Yeah. Um, just kind of manifest as a way of like having that anchor back into reality and not wanting to uh, basically turn into a fae anymore. Yeah, I we had a um, Hell's Rebels game that didn't uh, the GM's work schedule changed, so they had to dip around level uh, around book four, right? Mm -hmm. And so I, but I've been playing the same character all the way through, and she was a follower of Milani and. I eventually ended up having to run through, like you, like what happens at the end of this story. You know, I had yeah. to, because I don't think we'll ever get back to it at this point, just too much life. I realized that there wouldn't be a happy ending for her. She would just, if she survived, she would find another cause and another cause and another cause until eventually she died because martyrdom is part of the religion. You know, yeah. it's... It doesn't always have to end happy, but she did insist on a giant statue, so she'd at least have that. That's good. Yeah, that's that's something that I think is... Yeah, things don't always have to end happy. I've never been able to run a game through completion. I've never finished any campaign before, but one of the things I want to do uh, when I finally get to that point whether it's for the podcast or for my second Rise of the Rune Lords game or another game altogether, I, at the end of it, I want to say, hey, I want you to to tell me three possible endings for your character. And I need one of them to be a good happy ending, and I need one of them to be a sad tragedy ending. And the third one is up to you. And I want to see what they kind of come up with and, and give possibilities for because I think the you, you can't play the same characters forever. Uh, I think yeah. that's that's just something that we all have to come to terms with. Because um, you can only be so strong for so long. But life ends, and I think character stories should also end. But after the campaign, um, I think we all have these kind of fantasies about what happened to our characters. And I think it's nice to think about them in different ways because the characters don't 
stop making important decisions after you're done playing them and the books, you know, and the campaign goes away. Like, in their lifetime, if we're thinking about this in a metaphysical sort of way, they're still going to have, you know, troubleship and strife and have to make important choices, and they really could end up anywhere. Um, yeah. yeah, it's just weird weird stuff I think about, I guess. Existential sort of uh, character planning. Well, even from a meta level, like, I think about it because... Even if you don't finish the game, these characters are still out there in the world, right? Because I I like to do the thing where, in one of my groups, I'm running Kingmaker, but when I finish a book, one of the other guys is running Jade Regent, right? Mm-hmm. And one of the guys in Kingmaker is Tien. And in Jade Regent, the current regent or of Tien that you're going to go supplant is like sending out agents to stop you. So I had some of these agents show up in Kingmaker because they're like, hey, there's a legend of a cool sword and there's a TN guy. Like, is this the person we're, we're looking for? Yeah. It's just like, they quickly find out, no, it's not. And they, you know, F off. But everything's kind of connected. Yeah. And so you have these characters that mechanically, once you hit level 11 or higher, are considered legendary. Yes. You know, as far as all mechanical things for, like, legend lore and other divinations. Yep. What are they doing that is just like, oh, look, there's a huge problem 500 miles away, but, you know, hey, we got two wizards. We can teleport that far, no problem. Why aren't they fixing it? What are they doing that's so important that they're not here? Yes. So there's there's got to be that, too. Yes. I, I there There is a lot of that. Uh, and there's a lot of questionality about what happens to characters after games. Um, I am very excited. I've already started to... It's a very long way away, years and years. But I've already started to read through Return of the Rune Lords. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the first book that I know of that actually references um, previous campaign characters. Yeah. And one of the things in it... Um, when you're reading through and you know thinking about running it is it does say hey find out if any of your players have done any characters in rise of the rune lords and maybe think about bringing those characters back 20 years later in the timeline yeah which is a very fascinating thought so what if i had a character that finished rise of the rune lords and ended at level 18 what are they doing 20 years on like why didn't they help out in some of these other like big cataclysmic events that happen you know throughout galarian you know or even just right there in verizia because like out of the first 10 adventure paths i think six of them are in the sandpoint magdamar area yeah yeah because it goes it goes rune lords into curse of the crimson throne which is a stone's throw away yeah it's it's there's a lot of really it's the superhero conundrum right what what are what are the you know what are the other avengers doing um during you know thor dark world or or different things like that like what is happening um in with everyone else who's super high powerful when this obviously very big important thing is happening and that that's kind of the paradox that we see like in film cinema and uh i think in these games too and i'm I don't know how to explain it. I want to. My brain wants it to work somehow. Yeah, at a certain there are certain times where, like, I've had to just look at the the, the players and be like, "Listen, I know the explanation that this gives is really shallow, um, but I'm running from a book here, folks. Give me give me a break. Yeah. Like, this is suspend suspension of disbelief for this one, and yep. just this is the adventure. Like, yep. 
I wish I had a better explanation. I do, but this is what we got. Yeah. I think that kind of transparency is important. Yeah. Um, it saves yourself a lot of skin, too, and a lot of strife later on. If you're like, hey, yeah, I, I get that this doesn't really make sense. They don't give an explanation for it, and I, I don't want to try and explain this all away in rational terms when really we can just accept it now and have fun. Yeah. And, you know, just think like, well, if those characters did exist, what would you get to do? Stand by and watch them do stuff. And that's not fun. Yeah, exactly. Well, that being said, um, you know, I didn't really have like a major point to get to on this, but it seems like we've circled back to the thing that always seems to come up in every single one of these. Communication is very important. Oh my god, guys, communicate. Communicate with your game master, communicate with your fellow players, communicate w with all of the people in your life because it, it solves a lot of problems and it prevents a lot of problems from happening. Uh, other than that, I'm going to thank you profusely, James. Like I said, you were my first ever guest and you're my first repeat guest. Um, when I needed to put this together, I was like, you know, I really want to talk to James again. That was and this great, time, yeah. This time I won't screw up his name like three times. Oh, it's it, it's normal. That happens. Thank you for coming back on. Um, yeah, thanks, Dimension thanks Door for podcast me is is fantastic. Reign of Winter um, makes a lot of sense. And you guys, you also did the, the like the special module that you you guys wrote yourself. And uh, yes. I'll be blunt, dude. I heard you guys talking about it afterwards, and I'm like, I I just fully assumed that was part of the adventure. No. No, it was, that was so well integrated. Thank you, thank you. I'm I'm still I'm working it into an actual playable module that people can go uh, and download and experience. So that's that's been a whole process. But I've uh, yeah, Ulsgard was amazing. I had so much fun with it. So thank you. I, I, I appreciate. It. It's always nice hearing from someone when they're like, "Oh, I thought that was from the book," and you're like, ha, ha, "I'm good at this." Ha, ha, ha. You did a fantastic job with it. Thank you. So, listeners, uh, check out them. Uh, they actually have two shows. And, uh, James, thank you again for coming on. Awesome. Jason, thank you so much for having me. 